You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good evening and welcome to the final Eye on the Triangle of 2011. I'm Nick Savage. And I'm Jake Langlois. This week we bring you the best segments from the past year. Everything that made us laugh, cry, or just stop and think is in tonight's show, so you know it's going to be good. Let's start the programming tonight with some of our favorite stories from last spring, including base-jumping daredevils, a really lucky contest winner, a crazed soccer player, and an award-winning piece about a taco truck. Many people are familiar with the Special Olympics and its athletic events, but this weekend in downtown Raleigh, the organization is holding an event called Over the Edge, and I'm talking to Desiree Froshog, a participant in Going Over the Edge, rappelling over the Wachovia Capital Center 32 stories high. So, Desiree, how did you hear about Over the Edge? Uh, last year was the first year that they did Over the Edge in Raleigh. And I happened to be in Raleigh when it was happening, and I saw a crowd of people standing at the base of the Wachovia building and could not figure out for the life of me what they were looking at. And then finally I see this little teeny person at the top of the building rappelling down, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. So I actually got to see it happen last year. And I asked somebody what the event was, and they said over the edge. And so I proceeded to do the research and get myself involved. What exactly does getting involved entail? Uh, So we have a $1,000 entry criteria. And so I just uh, ended up emailing the appropriate personnel, and they got me signed up. So I've just, over the past nine months, have been raising the $1,000 entry fee. And uh, I think that's it. Just show up and get going. So what are you expecting from this? You're going to be 30 stories above the ground on the Wachovia building in downtown Raleigh. Have you ever experienced anything like this before? No, definitely not. Um, I actually recently went uh, skydiving, and I'm more nervous about this than I am skydiving because it's not a split-second moment where you just jump out of the plane. It's the actual conscious decision about shifting your weight from, you know, being on top of your feet to the weight on a little teeny rope, 32 stories tall, so, or high, I should say. And so um, I'm definitely very nervous about that, and I've never experienced anything like this. So it should be an adventure, that's for sure. Yeah, so with skydiving, you know, you jump out of a plane, open up the parachute, and everything is good to go. But with rappelling, you have a little more control. So how do you feel about going into this Uh Basically, you're in control of going down this building. I believe that, you know, there's a professional team that kind of handles and will help me actually put my weight onto the rope. And from, you know, the top of the building all the way down would be something that I control at my own pace. Um, Given that information, though, obviously we are, like, we have scheduled times, and so there'll be somebody before me and somebody after me. So, um I think that uh, we'll have an hour practice before the whole thing happens, and so they'll probably give me more of that information uh, during that practice time. And now how many other people are signed up to do this event? I want to say that there's somewhere around 50 slots, um, but, you know, I'm really not educated to answer that. Now, this event is organized by the Special Olympics. Now, do you have any experience with the organization itself or issues that the mentally disabled face? Um, actually, my experience is limited. I know several, um, you know, people with disabilities, and um, I just find that the zest for life that not only the, you know, athletes of the Special Olympics have, but, um, you know, people with disabilities have such a zest for life that um, 
oftentimes we get so bogged down and we forget that life is supposed to be fun. And so when I found out this was for the Special Olympics, it really did uh, ring very true to my heart because I just think that um, the athletes are such an inspiration and are a constant reminder for me to remember that life is supposed to be fun. For those of you interested in seeing the event, it will happen on October 1st in downtown Raleigh at the Wachovia Capital Center on Fayetteville Street. Thank you very much, Desiree. I really appreciate your feedback, and good luck. All right. I don't consider myself a lucky person, and I find giveaways and sweepstakes pretty futile endeavors. My friend Kyle Jones, though, he's a little different. His story starts in the pages of a local newspaper. There's just like a huge ad, and it had the big picture of the bike. And uh, as soon as I saw it, I like tore it out and like ran home and showed my roommate. We both got on the computer and like started entering in like as many times as we could. There's uh, multiple ways to to enter. Like you could have like written like a poem or something. Uh, could have left a video, and one of them was to leave like a 60 second story by just calling in. And then uh, another like two weeks after that, I was just it was really late, I was bored, and so I just decided I would uh, call in and leave a voicemail. And so I just, like, I didn't have anything rehearsed, just off the cuff. I made up a story, and, <laughs> and then I forgot about it. I'm from North Carolina. Here is my tale. A few years ago, I traveled down under to the awe-inspiring Australian outback. I set out on a mountain bike to traverse the harsh environment to get up close and personal with Mother Nature. I stopped at the Billabong one day for a drink of water, and little did I know that a crocodile was lurking in the water just below the surface. I could sense him there, and I decided I would beat him to the chase. I dove in, wrapped my body around the beast, he thrashed around until he was too tired to continue, and I let him go. The local aborigine saw me do this, and their chief hosted a feast in my honor. There was kangaroo steaks and plenty of fat tire ale. I rode off the next day. Right, so you waited a few weeks, and then what happened? I mean, I was in my kitchen. I was, you know, working on some noodles, and uh, I was <laughs> I got the, the call. I was worried it was some, some telemarketer or some, some crap I didn't want to hear about and uh and then the person called and is in a really strict like sort of like professional tone and i was like oh god i'm about to hang up and they're like hi is this kyle from north carolina and i said uh yeah um i work with a new belgium brewing company uh do you know why i'm calling i was like yes i do <laughs> and so yeah she explained to me like how i would get the prize and all that stuff and i was just uh, i was in shock it's funny i've never really won anything do you feel like you have a gift? <laughs> I do feel a little empowered. Like uh, I went into a shop the other day with my uh, my brother-in-law, and he signed up to win something. I was like, oh, well, I'll do it too. And then, you know, if I win, I'll give it to you. But I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I just felt like I was extra lucky. So now are you going to, like, buy a lot of lottery tickets? Uh, no, I've, I've done that. <laughs> I've been down that road. <laughs> Thank you.
And now for a bit of weird soccer news. Manchester City's Mario Balotelli set his house on fire over the weekend, the night before his big game against Manchester United, no less, because he and his friends were setting off fireworks in his bathroom. That's right, the man, fully grown man, was setting off fireworks in his bathroom. This guy really is a gift that keeps on giving, though, because he is now officially Manchester's ambassador for fireworks safety. It's important children should not mess with fireworks, Balotelli says. They can be very dangerous if they are not used in the right way. People should follow the fireworks code, warns a man who had to escape from his burning home early on Saturday morning after fireworks were set off in a bathroom in his house. Balotelli blames his friends, though, and yes, I'm sure we all believe you, Balotelli. However, we also remember that you are the same man who was apprehended for throwing darts out of a second-story window at pedestrians on the sidewalk below. In related Volatelli news, to celebrate their victory over their Derby rivals, Mario drove his Bentley convertible around Manchester City Center, blasting rap music at full volume and high-fiving fans. What a guy. I'm confident in saying that if I were a celebrity, I would be a celebrity like Mario Volatelli. Except, you know, without all the burning your house down with fireworks part. For Eye on the Triangle Premier League Soccer News, I'm Matt Gardner. Of the many food trucks in the Triangle, the majority are taco trucks. These little taquerias serve the large Hispanic population, most of which is Mexican, as well as offer special dishes from other Latino countries, especially Guatemala and El Salvador. Chapel Hill and Carborough are well known in the area for taco trucks, but throughout Cary, there are various camionetas, or trucks, that serve Latino enclaves. On 430 Buck Jones Road in Cary, Lily's Taqueria stands in the parking lot of Little Sioux Mini Martin gas station. We first talked to Herbert, a Salvadorian cook. The majority of our customers are Mexican, about 90%. We have to look for ways to make money because the economic crisis has affected us all. Due to that, the stand doesn't close until 2 in the morning. This is the stand that is open the latest. Lily's Taqueria sells a variety of authentic tacos and burritos, as well as some unique dishes to El Salvador, including pupusas, which are stuffed corn cakes. Lily, the owner of the stand, explained that her business plan is to follow the customer. We work from a truck because from a restaurant we wouldn't get much business. We have to go find the people instead of have the people find us. In a restaurant, you have to pay more rent. Sure, I have bills to pay with the truck, so I have to go find my clients for more opportunities to sell instead of staying put in one place. For now, we're only here Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because the construction is slow. But once construction picks up, we go to the construction spots where our clients work. But we can't work in Raleigh. It's difficult. We can't get permission to park in any space. At the intersection of Maynard Road and Reed Street, 
Tacos Estillos Hidalgos sets stand by a strip mall full of Latino supermercados and a salsa bar. Families from the largely Hispanic neighborhood wait, ready to order from the authentic menu, written exclusively in Spanish. The menu includes tacos of beef tongue, head cheese, spicy chorizo sausage, and roasted chicken. Inside the truck, two women, Andrea and Florealma, cook handmade tortillas and the slew of tacos they serve every night. Andrea explained the cooking process, and it all begins with the tortillas. This staple in Mexico is solely comprised of corn flour and water, and the women here make them from scratch daily. The clientele is mainly Hispanic, and Tacos Estillos Hidalgos knows how to target its demographic, being centrally located in the Latino community. I talked to customer Gabriel to see what he ordered. ¿Cómo se llama? Mi nombre es Gabriel. ¿Y qué pediste? I ordered some tacos of head cheese and beef tongue. They're really tasty. ¿Cómo son? Oh, son ricos. These are my favorites. It's got a lot of flavor. I order some onions with it, some lemonade, and my wine drink. I come here almost every weekend. I frequent this one exclusively. Approaching a new food truck at first may require some audacity but the vendors are willing to accommodate for particular palates and tastes. The generic steak and chicken tacos are guaranteed on the menu, but many of these taco joints, run and supported by Hispanics, bring with them more exotic taco fillings, such as buche, also known as pork stomach, tripe, beef tongue, head cheese, and pastor, which is like gyro meat. Due to strict regulation in Raleigh, many of these taquerias will stay put just outside of city limits. But for foodies with exotic tastes or Mexican food enthusiasts, the trip is just long enough. From I on the Triangle, I am Mark Herring, and buen provecho. This semester, Eye on the Triangle aired several pieces that spotlighted some people here at NC State you may not have known existed. We also have a rebroadcasting of one of our most unique pieces this semester, a radio play called The Fearless Ranger. Let's join our hero now. Now. Brought to you by Dry Oat Germ, the oat germ that leaves you salivating for more, the Fearless Ranger. When we left off last week, the ranger was riding into town with a corpse in tow. Whoa. <laughs> Fearless Ranger, don't you know you're not allowed back here? You killed 17 people last week. I was administering justice. Did you have to kill women and children? Sometimes casualties get in the way of justice. Did you have to sleep with my wife? Well, that was for fun. Now I see you dragging a body behind you. Who'd you kill now? What did he ever do, hmm? 
I found this stiff and recently deceased pass. Mm, third one this week. That's a lot of dead bodies, Ranger, and you're trying to tell me it weren't you? You know I ain't never touched no bow and arrow since my parents died in a frick bow accident. Did they fall on their own errors? Nah, they was strangled on the bowstring. Shoot, Ranger, we may need your expertise. Looks like there's a killer on the loose. I'll call a town meeting. Come on now, chillums. My honey chillies, calm down. Them's Indian errors. We should go out and find them all. Who done spilled beans on my chaps? It was them Indians. I seen it, I provisioned it, but they wasn't visible. Unbeknownst to the dim-witted denizens of dry Deadwood Gulch, they were finding themselves enmeshed in the machinations of none other than Professor Codswabble, the most intensely evil intellect west of the Mississippi, miles away in his foul den. <laughs> if my predilections are correct, and they always are, my precarious ploy should be put into perpetuation. Ah, uh, Gideon, you're back. You were watching from the hills as I commanded. Hmm? What of the body I instructed you to watch? Some man took it away. Where did he take it? That way. Which way, Gideon? East or west? That one. Back to town. Uh, never mind, Gideon. What did the man look like? He rode a pure white horse. Ugh, such a purebred Persian could only belong to one man, the fearless ranger. When he gets here, he'll have quite a surprise. And then, if my plan carries out as intended, and they always do, the bumbling buffoons will exterminate the natives for me. And I will be able to swoop in and purchase their land for an absurdly cheap price. Pennies, an acre, giddy, and all of it rich with silver, unbeknownst to the dupes. You'll show them all, boss. Meanwhile, in the town of Deadwood Dry Gulch, a suspicious ranger does some detective work over the now-trampled body rotting in the center of town. I guess this is as good a place as any to begin my search. Let's see... Excuse me, mister, you probably won't be missing whatever's in your hand right there. He finds the dead dunce's decomposed digits clutching a note. Dear Gideon, note to self. Remember to kill this prospector. Love, Gideon and Professor Codswabble. P.S. Don't forget to throw this note out. Come on, Ranger, the policy's almost ready to flush them engines out. Sheriff, I think you might want to take a look at this here note I found. I ain't got no time to read. In fact, I never had no time to learn how to read. I got a people to protect, if you'll excuse me. Well, then, it looks like I'm on my own. Come on, Tonto. That's what I named my horse. To the scene of the crime. Meanwhile, back in the den of the deadly dastard. All right, Gideon. Here's the rifle. You know what to do, don't you? Uh, hang on, I dropped my note. Read it to me. Kill the fearless ranger. What are you going to kill him with? This rifle. Where are you going to do it from? The, uh, overlook. <laughs> Good lad, Gideon. Here's the bullets. Now be off with you, you blundering baboon. Little does our paragon of her protagonist, our antithesis to the antagonist, know he's riding into a tricky trap. It doesn't surprise me that Professor Codswabble is up to no good. But what could the professor possibly stand to gain by framing up the Indians? Besides, the professor usually likes to take credit for his dastardly deeds. Take five, Tonto. I've got to check for clues. 
Unbeknownst to our hero, the simpering sycophant's fingers tighten around the trigger of a rifle aimed at his head. He takes aim and whispers, You're finished, Ranger! But the fearless Ranger, sensing trouble, is too quick for the dim-witted assassin. However, his horse Tonto is not so lucky. Tonto rears up and is shot. A final sacrifice for his master. You're in for it now, Gideon. Your days of villainy are over. Suddenly, the lackey takes a bullet and tumbles to the ground. No man can withstand the swift bullet of justice. Now to take care of that pesky professor once and for all. The hero braves the baffling bastion of the cliff that housed the hideous fiend. Without missing a step, he creeps upward. Hmm, looks as though that buffoon Gideon was done in. I expected as much. (laughs) Now time to ready my trap. A quick run through. First, the ranger shall trip the wire, releasing the counterweight, sending the boulders down onto the inclined plane, in turn lifting up the lever and activating my coal-driven piston engine. The vibrations will knock a purposefully loosened stalactite that will drop onto my collection of fine china. Distraught over the shattered wealth, he'll look over in dismay, and that's when I'll shoot him! Our hero comes to the entrance of the Sneedly Scholar's lair and prepares to enter. He draws his trusty gun and ventures forth bravely. The jig is up, you third-rate cattle rustler. I deduced your plan to rob the Indians blind during my climb. Come out and face me like a man. Figured me out, have you, you self-righteous cowboy? Well, unfortunately for you, I have one more trick up my sleeve. <laughs> But unfortunately for the pernicious professor, even the best laid plans of men and machine can go horribly awry. His death trap malfunctions, and in moments the entire cavern is enveloped in smoke. The cowardly professor, seeing a chance at escape, bolts through a side exit in the cave. Stop! I've got your beautiful bride to be strapped to the train tracks down there! Joke's on you, bub. The riders forgot to ride in a love interest. The ranger, his sultry silhouette shadowed by shafts of sunlight, pauses to ponder for a moment. I hope that tasted sweet, Codswobble, because you just got your just dessert. Tune in next week for more adventures of the fearless ranger. Well, he was an indoor-outdoor cat, and he knew better not to use the bathroom in my house. And he came to uh, wake me up right in my round, wake me up in his, to get and let him use the bathroom. So when we did open up the door, man, rain was so long, white raindrops. And the trees seemed like they were bawling, you know. And the wind was howling, and the thunder was like a 747. So I said, well, what are you going to do? Are you going outside or what? My cat looked at me. I looked at him. And then we looked at each other. And he actually said, nah. <laughs> That's Jackie Landry, a Hurricane Katrina survivor. 
She now works in the Tally Student Center at NC State. But she was living in New Orleans when Category 5, Hurricane Katrina, chewed through town on August 29, 2005. Storms make Miss Landry sleepy. She was in bed when Katrina came through the front door. I had a big old opening for a door. And that's when a soft, brisk voice came to me and said, you better get out of here. It's time for you to go. And I just said, oh, no, what am I going to do? And he turned the storm to a miss, and he allowed me to run across the street to a friend of mine's to knock on her door and ask her to let me in. And so it was a whole lot of crying and a whole lot of praying. So God put this song on my heart so that I won't cry anymore, you know. And the song went like this. Don't you know that I sing, 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 because I'm happy. Don't you know that I sing, 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 because I'm free. His eyes are on a sparrow, but I know he's why. The damaging winds destroyed property and homes, but Katrina's powerful storm surge punched 53 holes in the levee system. It submerged about 80% of New Orleans. We didn't know it was going to be that bad, but the reason why it was so bad is when the levees broke. That's when it caused. And by me living in the last ward in the city, everybody think New Orleans just flooded out at one time. But it didn't. It took it days for it to come to my house. And we could look down the street, and I could see this water coming down the street like a snake. We spent one night there, you know, and the next day the water was getting higher and higher and higher. So we had to get out of there. Almost all of Miss Landry's belongings were destroyed. Her daughter had already left the city before the storm, and now it was time for her to go also. She said goodbye to the roofless building that used to be her home and joined a group of neighbors that were headed out of town. Eighteen of us left in the neighborhood where I come up at, and uh, we all got together since they told us that we had to leave, you know. And we had like three good run- running cars, and the guy named Mr. Wallace took us up to his, his father-in-law in Mississippi. And the first ride lane that I got on was in Brookhaven, Mississippi. So once we got up there, he had all his family people. They cooked and served us food, and I mean the food was delicious. Then like the next day, they had opened up his church where we can sleep and stuff, the people that had came from the storm. And Mary, she had lived in New Orleans for 16 years herself, and she called her sister, and her sister lived in Greensboro, North Carolina. Before the government, or before FEMA or Red Cross, it was mainly the people that was helping us to get out of there. Now, Greenboro knew we was coming up there. And once we got up there, I thought I was a queen, the way they had treated me, you know. And money was no object. I didn't need no money. You know, anything I thought I wanted, they gave it to me. So we got there, and I called my family. They were in... Dallas, Texas, and I knew I had a cousin that lived here in North Carolina, but I didn't know what city he lived then. So once I called my brothers and found out where he was, 
I gave him a call immediately. And the call, I didn't have seen my cousin over 15 or 20 years. And I didn't know the difference between Riley during a chapel here. So what I did, I called the operator, and she gave me the number to my cousin. And I told the first Raymond and Jackie Searles that she looked up was my cousin, and I hadn't seen him in over 15 or 20 years. Once I got in contact with him, he brought me up here to Raleigh. When Miss Landry got to Greensboro, she didn't know where her daughter Italy was. It took 29 days to find her, but the Red Cross reunited them in one day. Now it's 2011. Italy is a senior at Enloe High School, but Miss Landry hasn't forgotten where she lived for more than 50 years of her life. The water is gone, but Katrina is still there, you know. They still had those old houses that was flooded out, just standing, just standing. And it seems like it's a slow process for the city to do things, you know. But since I've been living here in Raleigh, I can't understand it. Raleigh had built buildings since I've been here, and they can't build homes for us to go back, you know. Do you want to go back? Oh, yes. I left my heart there. But I'm doing better up here. This is where I'm supposed to be, the time of my life. I'm doing very good up here. Mm-hmm. Ryan the Triangle, I'm Chris Joffe. sounds like music that might accompany some sort of tribal dance can actually be heard right here on campus. Catherine and Brittany, two freshmen here at NC State, enjoy sharing their talents with those around them, and frequently do. I'm Brittany Pickler, and I'm a freshman in industrial engineering. I'm Catherine Smith, and I am a freshman in textiles engineering. Um, I've played flute since sixth grade, so eight years. I'm a part of the wonderful Power Sound of the South, the marching band, play piccolo. In sixth grade, I knew I wanted to do band, so my mom called me and asked me what instrument to sign up for, and the flute was one of the first ones she said, and it sounded pretty cool. So I just got involved that way, and I really love it. My first instrument was violin, and I've been playing violin for nine years, and I also play piano and drums. I've been playing djembe for eight years as well. What got you started on djembe? I went to a music camp and there was a class in African percussion and the djembe is the staple instrument of African percussion so it was it's a good multi-purpose instrument for lots of different styles of world music in sharing their music with the community around them Brittany and Catherine are very spontaneous Well, the first time that we did this, I felt inspired to make some music, and it was a really pretty day outside, so I texted Brittany, and I said, hey, Brittany, do you want to come meet me and make some beautiful music? And she said, okay, and so we made some beautiful music together. Yeah. We played in in Fountain the other day. Whenever we feel inspired. Whenever the inspiration hits us. We play some music. We bring our instruments into our hammocks with us. We do. And play them. We 
just sitting around playing, and the uh, the parkour club came up and asked us to come play for them because they wanted some music. We were on a bench, and then we moved to a rock for the parkour club. And they were just doing their parkour stuff while listening, you guess? They were, and they clapped for us occasionally. According to Catherine, there's more to her drum than may appear. My drum is hand-carved, and it's from Africa. I bought it at a fair trade store, and it's beautiful. It has carvings of an African village on it. Mine is made with real goat skin, is the head, which is really nice. Yeah, I'm really connected to my instrument. I feel like I can get a better sound on mine than anyone else's. There's three main regions of the djembe that you can play. Right in the middle is called a bass. It's right in the center of the head, so it makes it stretch down when you hit it, and it makes really a much deeper sound. Whereas when you're hitting it on the side, you're hitting it in harder regions of it, which make a different tone, and depending on the way that you hold your fingers whenever you play it, so you can make different sounds very easily, just depending on the way that you're holding your fingers at the time. So far, the reception appears great for the minstrel-like pair, and they fully intend to continue doing what they love. The regular tour route for the campus tours comes right by where we usually do this, so we get a lot of people taking pictures with their phones. Usually, older people think it's funny, or just people asking us like, "Where did you get your hammocks?" and <laughs> like, "Why, why are you doing this?" And we're like, "We're just loving life, mostly." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like it. It's a good time. It's a good time. It's a good way to spend a Sunday. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. Now let's take a look at a few segments from earlier this semester, including reflections on autumn and the unique perspective of being a Muslim American in the weeks and months following September 11th. And of course, who could forget the earthquake that shook the East Coast in August? A curious thing happens when the seasons change around this time of year. Suddenly, the sky seems bluer, the leaves are certainly more colorful, and the whole world seems to have this refreshing crispness to it, as if, though after suffering through the intensity of summer, it has suddenly slowed down. Just a little bit. The days have grown shorter, just a little bit drier, and those light sweaters that have been gathering dust since last May once again have the chance to see the light of day. And while it may currently feel like summer isn't quite ready to let go just yet, it will eventually, like all things in life, come to a close, ushering in cooler nights and a slight chill just in time for Halloween. Growing up in South Florida, I never dealt with the cold like I do here. And as a child, I can remember dreading the end of summer, hating the cold, hating the shortening days. It was just depressing, seeing all the life slowing down, watching the leaves die, and seeing the geese flying south for the impending winter that I knew was sure to follow. But something has changed. Fall has shown up, right on time, and the spooky Halloween decorations still adorn store windows, tempting shoppers to come in and peruse all the temptatious delights that lay within. The state fair is still here, inviting guests to try the latest deep-fried food in true North Carolina fashion. No, fall is still fall, the same as it has always been. As I get older, I find myself enjoying all the little nuances that appear as we get later and later into the year. I find myself looking forward to the end of summer, looking forward to the refreshing cooling of fall, 
Because in between the humid hell of summer and the bitingly cold winds of January, there is a small window when the sky is the purest of blue. Freshly fallen leaves make a satisfying crunch under your feet, and all you need is a light sweater to keep you warm. As the year matures from the passionate swelters of summer into the slower nights of fall, I find that I have matured from just six months ago. College is a time of self-discovery. It is a strange chapter of life in which several thousand high schoolers are thrown onto a campus in some weird social experiment, and what is supposed to come out is a group of adults ready for the real world. But reality is hardly so simple. New friendships are made and old ones fall apart. Love is found and love is lost. Mistakes are made, goals are achieved, plans are broken, and new ones are made in what ultimately becomes as much a quest of self-discovery as it is for knowledge. College is when we are supposed to grow up, to mature, for better or for worse, with maturity comes a new appreciation for things we never could as children. Things that never mattered five years ago have suddenly become very important. Things like student loans, jobs, and 10-page essays are worries that we just didn't have. And given another five years, we will have even more concerns, like families, houses, and retirement. For now, though, it's okay to just sit back and enjoy the clear blue sky. Jake Langlois, 88.1 WKNC. was the most horrific attack to ever occur on American soil. It affected the lives of millions of Americans, emotionally and physically, and 10 years later, we could still see the after effects. American Muslims had it particularly rough because of their faith. Many other Americans who were hurting and demanding justice took out their frustration on those people who they deemed linked to the attacks. What many don't realize is that American Muslims were just as horrified and afraid as everyone else. I'm Ahmed Amir. I'm a junior in business administration. I was sitting in my fifth grade class trying to concentrate on a paper and I remember not being able to concentrate because my birthday was coming up so that was really all I could focus on and then one of the neighboring teachers came into our classroom and turned on the TV so I was thinking oh sweet we get to uh, not do work and watch TV so then I saw what was on and uh, at first I was confused I didn't really understand it until I got home and my mom was watching the news as well and she was on the verge of tears and I just remember thinking what the heck's going on so um, when I was younger it wasn't really perspective for me kind of you know came into perspective as I got older. Many Muslim Americans like the ones we see on state campus were just kids when 9-11 occurred and yet they still suffer the scrutiny many years later. My name is Dana Baloch. I'm a psychology and religious studies major. Um, I was in fifth grade at Eliman, which is an Islamic um, private school here in Raleigh. And um, we were in class, and the teachers just basically told us, like, we were locked down in the classroom and told us that we had to um, evacuate, like, you know, leave the school. We got out after around 10 o'clock, so after both towers were hit. But no teacher would tell us what happened. Nobody would tell us what happened. We were scared. Like, the teachers were just telling us that, you know, we just have to leave. We're getting too many bomb threats and stuff. Um, after that, we didn't go to school for about two weeks because we had too many bomb threats. The, our mosque was vandalized countless times. Um, and then we had a police officer watch the school for about six months to make sure we were safe. So, Dia Baraket, a business major junior, shares the same story as Zana Baloch. They went to the same school, but he differed in this way. And uh, that's when my mom decided um, it may be a good idea to switch to a public school. That's when I switched to a public elementary school for that year. And it's sad to say, but I think I lost my Muslim identity that year. I, I was I was somewhat scared of 
telling people that I was Muslim. I was scared to walk with my mom sometimes in the mall or at Walmart or whenever we'd go shopping. But in the end, I still think that now it made me an even stronger Muslim. And whenever somebody would ask, I would proudly say it. And as tragic as 9-11 was, I think there are a lot of things that came out of it that were for the benefit of not only Muslims, but of the world. The, the whole world came together and um, they were somewhat unified. And just yesterday, the 10th anniversary for 9-11, we were able to have a uh, peace and solidarity event here in the Triangle. And in that, in that event, we were able to have the Christian, Jewish, and Muslim faith come together and uh, kind of talk about what, what, where they were and what happened. And, you know, it's nice to see some open-minded people really come together and um, talk about a really sensitive issue. Um, and without 9-11, it would have been really hard to get the three faiths together and just talk about being unified. Muslim Americans experienced many hardships after the attacks, and many of them felt stronger for it. Personally, I mean, I was too little to understand the effect of the event on Muslims. Um, as a kid, it was just scary. It didn't, I didn't think my, like, I was being attacked because I was Muslim. I thought everyone was in danger, not just Muslims, like everyone in America. I didn't realize that America did get attacked, but even Muslims and American, like, American Muslims were feeling the victim of it, even though we didn't really do anything. So, um, but as I grew older, I understood, and I feel like it's made me a stronger person because it made me um, educate myself about my religion and make sure I knew about things that people asked me about. So it helped me know more things about myself and my religion. 9-11 was hard for everyone, but it did affect some people for the better. Although 9-11 happened when I was only in fifth grade, it's nice to see that we see some positive effects 10 years later in that peace and solidarity event. It really brought unity among the three faiths, and it was an amazing event that I felt comfortable in being surrounded by people that understand what we really went through. 9-11 was the worst thing to happen to Americans, and specifically American Muslims. I remember I was in fourth grade in an Islamic school in Orlando, Florida. My dad had picked me up early that day, and he had said to the Islamic leader at our mosque that America would never be the same again. It hasn't been. But at least now, ten years later, we're able to show and experience tolerance and unity. I'm Selma Abdulhai with Eye of the Triangle, and I hope you've been enlightened. I don't know, I was going to die. <laughs> it was kind of violent in my room. We were in our dorm, and we thought that people were making ruckus above us and below us. It scared us. It was really surprising. Me and my roommate were kind of confused. We didn't really know what was going on. I didn't think much of it. I thought it was a bunch of kids running by. I did not feel it. Like, I was on the computer, and I seen my lamp start shaking. Uh, I was in geology class, as a matter of fact. The board started shaking. We was like, it's an earthquake. My teacher was like, nah, it wasn't. And he was wrong. Last Tuesday saw the most powerful earthquake to rock the east coast of the United States in almost 70 years. 
The earthquake was felt by people up and down the eastern seaboard, including many here in Raleigh. We invited Dr. Carl Wegman, a geologist and assistant professor in marine, earth, and atmospheric sciences, into the studio to help us understand what exactly it was we experienced. The earthquake on Tuesday in Virginia was caused when rocks slid past each other along a fault plane. According to Dr. Wegman, the earthquake, which originated several kilometers below the Earth's surface, was felt for thousands of miles because of the unique geologic composition of the eastern coast. The rocks are much older, much denser, much colder on the eastern part of the United States than they are in the, in the western part. So seismic energy propagates more efficiently. What this means is that there is often a difference between how far an earthquake can be felt depending on your location within the country. Dr. Wegman explains. So a similar magnitude 5.8 in California might be felt over a distance of 100 miles Whereas here on the east coast of the United States, the same amount of energy release would be felt over maybe a thousand miles. Which is why last Tuesday's earthquake was reportedly felt from Toronto to Georgia. No need to panic, however. The relative stability of the east coast tectonics means that earthquakes of this magnitude are fairly uncommon. For those of us that are in our 20s or early 30s, if we lived in Raleigh the rest of our life, we may experience one or two more earthquakes of about the same magnitude during our lifetime. And what are the chances the next earthquake will be worse? Uh, we're not really sure. That's still an area of, of active research for geologists and seismologists on the east coast of the United States. While this may seem unsettling, Dr. Wegman believes that we may in fact have been fortunate to have experienced such an event. It's kind of a neat, almost cultural experience that, that we all got to share in for five seconds. And maybe this earthquake might be a reminder for those of us on the eastern side of the country that we live on a dynamic and an active planet. And while earthquakes in this area aren't common, it's always a good idea to have an emergency plan set up anyway. Worrying about earthquakes should be probably at the bottom of people's list of things to do out here in, in North Carolina. Zombie apocalypse might be a little bit higher. However, Dr. Wegman thinks we should worry about the bigger issues at hand. I feel strongly that some of the largest challenges that we face, both as a country, but more broadly as a group of human beings on this planet, are geoscience or earth science related problems. And we need trained, talented geoscientists to solve some of our country's and humanity's largest looming problems. So come see us over in Marine Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois. I'm Dave. And I'm Nick Savage. While it may no longer be November, we've got a very funny commentary on a rather unusual tradition you may have noticed last month. We also have for you a story on the reopening of Poland Park and some students' thoughts on the city elections in, November, in October. Excuse me. Uh, did you know there's a Raleigh City election on Tuesday the 11th? No. Do you plan to vote on it? Now that you told me, I would, except I am not a resident here in Raleigh. I am I am registered to vote in Charlotte, North Carolina. I knew, and I'm, I'm voting. But I would vote otherwise. And what about you? Yeah, I knew I am voting. The Raleigh city election is coming soon on Tuesday, October the 11th. I went around the NC State campus last Friday to hear what people had to say about participating in the election. I'm Paulina Rajunas. I'm an FYC, so I'm a freshman. I'm not going to vote if I don't know what I'm voting on, and I'm not going to know what I'm voting on until I do the research to let myself feel satisfied with my own knowledge of the situation. 
I don't think that they affect me as much as other things like homework and studying. So if I was going to spend my time, I would spend it on homework and studying as opposed to researching proper politics and the actual candidates as opposed to what they say that they're going to do because oftentimes what they say isn't what they're actually going to do and what they tell the public is more of a general overview of what they think they stand for and when they get into office they'll probably do something a lot different. I vote in every election. I voted ever since I could vote. I think local elections are even more important because the people that are elected to those offices, their policies and their thoughts and their philosophies will directly affect you. Federal government, yes, it is important, but local elections are even more important because it's the grassroots. So whatever they feel, you're going to feel it. it is important for people to get out to vote, especially with local elections, because I think a lot of times they are overlooked, but I also feel that they are not necessarily more important than federal elections, but as opposed to a trickle-down effect from the federal, I think it goes from local up to federal, so the changes that you make locally influence your local area, and then it works out from there up to the federal level. So don't forget to vote on the 11th. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Jay Tomlin, 88.1 WKNC. sound of the merry-go-round at Poland Park has been replaced by the sounds of construction and renovation. But soon, this November in fact, the Poland Park amusement area will be reopened to the public. Among the changes are an improved carousel house, a new concessions building, new playground equipment, and a new depot for the train. David Schaus, the Raleigh Parks and Recreation Senior Park Planner, was able to tell us more about what we can expect. Well, the carousel house is being completely replaced. This is a major renovation that involves removing a number of the earlier buildings, such as the house that the carousel was in. This new carousel house will look similar to the old one, but offers much more, including climate control, which was absent from the previous house. Though the carousel house is being replaced, the ride itself remains. The ride is, after all, listed on the National Register of Historic Places. There are not many operating carousels in existence across the country, but the Pullen Carousel in particular has been, um, it's basically a work of art that you invite people to come participate in. You sit on it and ride it and that type of thing. So the actual artwork, the carving, the painting of the horses, the other animals on the carousel, there are a number of painted panels on the carousel as well, and there are some copies that you might find in local shopping malls, but nothing is quite like the real thing. In addition to the changes to the carousel building, Poland Park will see some new buildings, including a new welcome center, new restrooms, a new playground, and some modifications to the train ride, 
including a new depot and increased handicapped accessibility involving both the loading platform and a new handicapped accessible car to be pulled by the train. Lake Howell will also experience a change with the implementation of a new geothermal energy system. We are implementing a geothermal heat system for the carousel building, which involves a heat exchanger located in Lake Howell. That's one of the methods for transferring heat from the HVAC system. So it's an energy savings. And if you think about the carousel building, it'll have windows all the way around it. And if you have to locate noisy air conditioners outside, it detracts from the the experience of the carousel itself. So putting a heat exchanger in the water in Lake Howell was a good advantage for us. Opening on November 19th at 2 p.m. after the annual holiday parade downtown, the Poland Park Amusement Area will host music and entertainment in celebration throughout the afternoon. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. If you weren't aware that we had entered the month of November, I'd like to personally welcome you to this month that we've quietly slipped into. It's not your average month, exactly. We've got crunch time and classes and football and basketball starting up around here at State, and some major cultural changes across the U.S., such as the emergence of the Occupy Everything Everywhere All the Time movements, but I am here to bring you some information about a growing social and cultural movement that is sweeping continents. It has the potential to change thousands, if not millions, of lives for the better. It is specific to the month of November and keeps the month's name in the title, just in case you forget. And the name of this movement? Well, people around here call it No Shave November, although it sometimes goes by the name of Movember, Novembeard, or Noshember. It's not exactly a new idea, but it has grown like the beard of Rip Van Winkle, and in much less time. This festively furry month-long holiday is simply celebrated by resisting the razor in any way by men for the entire month of November, starting with a clean-shaven face on the first of the month. Legend has it that this tradition draws its roots in the wild land of Australia, started by a group of friends in a pub back in 1999. If this is true, this movement could be the single greatest international cultural contribution to come out of Australia since Hugh Jackman or perhaps even Steve Irwin. The idea has taken root as a way to raise awareness for the general health of men and about illnesses that affect men in particular, such as prostate cancer. There are several non-profit organizations, such as Noshember.com or Movember.com, that now sponsor beard-growing charity fundraisers. The proceeds go to such organizations as the Prostate Cancer Foundation, Livestrong, and the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Participants must simply ask people to sponsor them to grow their facial hair, or mustaches in particular, from the 1st to the 30th of the month without shaving. Movember's website cites participants from the U.S., the U.K., Ireland, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, and raised over $80 million in charitable contributions in last year's drive alone, nearly doubling the profits from the previous year. The use of November as a month for men's health awareness follows nicely after October, which is known as a month to celebrate women's health and raise awareness for breast cancer. Speaking of women, 
You should know that they certainly have a place and are welcomed among the ranks of the Movember crowd, although they do not usually grow mustaches themselves. Movember welcomes any women who are willing to become proponents of men growing their facial hair, who have been deemed Mo-bros, and sell shirts and other items that show support for the cause. As the month ripens, I would encourage you to keep a weather eye out for anyone wearing a finely combed crumb catcher and, if you can catch him, say, Hey there, that's quite a snazzy soup strainer you're sporting. Remember that he could be helping to save somebody's life. I'd like to thank Andrew Branch of The Technician for contributing to this story, and now I'd like to leave you off with an almost encouraging quote from William Shakespeare, himself a pioneer of the mustache-slash-soul-patch combo before Sapa's time. He that hath a beard is more than a youth, and he that hath no beard is less than a man. I'm Dave for Eye on the Triangle, WKNC. And finally tonight, we have a story from Chris Chaffee. He's been the host of Eye on the Triangle for quite some time, and tonight is his last show before he graduates. On behalf of the Eye on the Triangle team, I would like to thank Chris for everything he's done for the program and wish him the best of luck in his endeavors beyond WKNC. Every once in a while, scouts come visit the studio here at WKNC to shed their bobcat badge and earn their fierce Tiger Scout stripes. Monday night, I got to give the tour. Now what troop oh, are you yeah. in? Two, pack 222. Two, two. Pack 222. Two, and two, we are three. Pack 222. Two, two. And it's right, it's right here. 222. Two, two. Well, it's hard to gauge what a group of first graders learned. I think they learned something. Um... I learned about how all the equipment works and what it leads to. And What did you learn? Mostly what he said, but I learned about how it works and other stuff like that. Now, what was your favorite thing? I forgot. What was your favorite thing? <laughs> how microphones work. Okay. <laughs> Mine was how the library works and how... What happens to old and new discs? I guess probably the most exciting thing for the young Bobcats was being able to watch their sound waves dance around on the computer screen as they recited the Pledge of Allegiance. You ready? One, two, three. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic of which is... For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Chris Chaffee and... Well, that's all we've got for you tonight. We thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed listening to The Best We Have to Offer, and we'll be back in 2012. As always, you can follow our blog and listen to our weekly podcasts at wknc.org slash EOT. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash wknc.eot or follow us on Twitter at wknc underscore EOT. Until next year, I'm Nick. And I'm Jake. We hope you have a happy holiday season and good night.